Chapter Two of The Boy's Life of Mark Twain by Albert Bigelow Payne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Boy's Life of Mark Twain by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter Two The New Home and Uncle John Quarles' Farm. Hannibal was a town with prospects and considerable trade. It was slumbrous, being a slave-town, but it was not dead. John Clemens believed it a promising place for business, and opened a small general store with Orion Clemens, now fifteen, a studious, dreamy lad, for clerk. The little city was also an attractive place of residence. Mark Twain remembered it as the white town drowsing in the sunshine of a summer morning the great mississippi the magnificent mississippi rolling its mile-wide tide along the dense forest away on the other side the white town was built against green hills and abutting the river were bluffs holiday's hill and lover's leap a distance below the town was a cave a wonderful cave as every reader of tom sawyer knows while out in the river toward the illinois shore was the delectable island that was one day to be the meeting-place of Tom's pirate band, and later to become the hiding-place of Huck and Nigger Jim. The river itself was full of interest. It was the highway to the outside world. Rafts drifted by, smartly painted steamboats panted up and down, touching to exchange traffic and travelers, a never-ceasing wonder to those simple shut-in dwellers whom the telegraph and railway had not yet reached. That Hannibal was a pleasant place of residence, we may believe, and what an attractive place for a boy to grow up in. Little Sam, however, was not yet ready to enjoy the island and the cave. He was still delicate, the least promising of the family. He was queer and fanciful, and rather silent. He walked in his sleep, and was often found in the middle of the night fretting with the cold in some dark corner. Once he heard that a neighbor's children had the measles, and, being very anxious to catch the complaint, slipped over to the house and crept into bed with an infected playmate. Some days later little Sam's relatives gathered about his bed to see him die. He confessed, long after, that the scene gratified him. However, he survived, and fell into the habit of running away, usually in the direction of the river. "'You gave me more uneasiness than any child I had,' his mother once said to him in her old age. "'I suppose you were afraid I wouldn't live,' he suggested. She looked at him with the keen humor which had been her legacy to him. "'No, afraid you would,' she said, which was only her joke, for she had the tenderest of hearts, and, like all mothers, had a weakness for the child that demanded most of her mother's care." It was chiefly on his account that she returned each year to Florida to spend the summer on John Quarles' farm. If Uncle John Quarles' farm was just an ordinary Missouri farm, and his slaves just average negroes, they certainly never seemed so to little Sam. There was a kind of glory about everything that belonged to Uncle John, and it was not all imagination, for some of the spirit of that jovial, kindly-hearted man could hardly fail to radiate from his belongings. The farm was a large one for that locality, and the farmhouse was a big double-log building, that is, two buildings with a roofed-over passage between, where in summer the lavish southern meals were served, brought in on huge dishes by the negroes, and left for each one to help himself—fried chicken, roast pig, 
turkeys, ducks, geese, venison just killed, squirrels, rabbits, partridges, pheasants, prairie chickens, green corn, watermelon. A little boy who did not die on that bill of fare would be likely to get well on it, and to little Sam the farm proved a life-saver. It was, in fact, a heavenly place for a little boy. In the corner of the yard there were hickory and black walnut trees, and just over the fence the hill sloped past barns and cribs to a brook, a rare place to wade, though there were forbidden pools. Cousin Tabitha Quarles, called Puss, his own age, was little Sam's playmate, and a slave-girl, Mary, who, being six years older, was supposed to keep them out of mischief. There were swings in the big, shady pasture, where Mary swung her charges and ran under them until their feet touched the branches. All the woods were full of squirrels and birds and blooming flowers. All the meadows were gay with clover and butterflies, and musical with singing grasshoppers and calling larks. The fence-rows were full of wild blackberries. There were apples and peaches in the orchard, and plenty of melons ripening in the corn. Certainly it was a glorious place. Little Sam got into trouble once with the watermelons. One of them had not ripened quite enough when he ate several slices of it. Very soon after he was seized with such terrible cramps that some of the household did not think he could live. But his mother said, "'Sammy will pull through. He was not born to die that way.' Which was a true prophecy. Sammy's slender constitution withstood the strain. It was similarly tested more than once during those early years. He was regarded as a curious child, at times dreamy and silent, again wild-headed and noisy, with sudden impulses that sent him capering and swinging his arms into the wind until he would fall with shrieks and spasms of laughter and madly roll over and over in the grass. It is not remembered that any one prophesied very well for his future at such times. The negro quarters on Uncle John's farm were especially fascinating. In one cabin lived a bedridden old woman whom the children looked upon with awe. She was said to be a thousand years old, and to have talked with Moses. She had lost her health in the desert, coming out of Egypt. She had seen Pharaoh drown, and the fright had caused the bald spot on her head. She could ward off witches and dissolve spells. Uncle Dan'l was another favorite a kind-hearted, gentle soul, who long after, as Nigger Jim in the Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn tales, would win world-wide love and sympathy. Through that far-off, warm, golden summer-time, little Sam romped and dreamed and grew. He would return each summer to the farm during those early years. It would become a beautiful memory. His mother generally kept him there until the late fall, when the chilly evenings made them gather round the wide, blazing fireplace. Sixty years later he wrote, "'I can see the room yet with perfect clearness. I can see all its belongings, all its details. The family room of the house, with the trundle-bed in one corner and the spinning-wheel in another, a wheel whose rising and falling wail heard from a distance was the mournfulest of all sounds to me, and made me homesick and low-spirited, and filled my atmosphere with the wandering spirits of the dead. The vast fireplace, piled high with flaming logs from whose ends a sugary sap bubbled out, but did not go to waste, for we scraped it off and ate it. The lazy cat spread out on the rough hearthstones, the drowsy dogs braced against the jams, blinking. My aunt in one chimney-corner, and my uncle in the other, 
smoking his corn-cob pipe. It is hard not to tell more of the farm, for the boy who was one day going to write of Tom and Huck and the rest learned there so many things that Tom and Huck would need to know. End of chapter 2